Hi guys, and welcome to part two of To Be an Ally for Equality. Today we're going to be talking about the roles and responsibilities of being an advocate for LGBTQ mental health. And today we have our guest, a new special guest, different than part one. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hi everybody. Hello, beautiful people. My name is A. Marie. It's short for Andrea Marie. And um, I am a creative mental health advocate. And what that means is, is that I use creativity in the form of painting and visual arts and poem writings or quote writings and things like that. And also um, advocating in the community by doing a lot of community service, whether it's for nonprofit organizations, raising funds, or just, you know, advertising their work and participating in some of their events. Or if I'm just in my local neighborhood, like volunteering and helping out, that's how I pretty much, you know, advocate wellness for the community, you know, because I believe everyday people can just do extraordinary things from within themselves because, you know, we, we just have that natural ability to tap into. That is so true. And I love all the work you do. And you. I'm so excited that we can kind of be here and just kind of have an open discussion and just sort of talk about the things that I covered in the blog on mm -hmm. February. February 18th, 2022. Um, okay. So if you guys want to have kind of a, a reference to maybe get some of the things we're talking about, I would definitely recommend checking that out on the website, which will be linked in the show notes. So we're going to go ahead and get kind of just dive into it, just kind of throw ourselves right in. And if you haven't listened to part one, stop and go listen to it because I'm just going to be referencing that a lot as well. Because in part one, we already identified what an ally is, what an ally is not, and how to identify false allyship. And now that we have clear lines that have been drawn, today what we're really discussing is the roles and responsibilities of allies. In this section, I always like to start off with introducing the acronym SAVE, which stands mm -hmm. for Spreading Accurate and Relevant... I, this always happens. I can't speak words. <laughs> it stands for it stands for spreading accurate and relative relative. Oh my god! Spreading accurate and relevant information. Period. Got that. Got that right. Advocating for inclusive treatment practices, voting no on anti-LGBTQ bills, and engaging with pro-LGBTQ organizations. That could be anything from a nonprofit to a school, Gay Straight Alliance, or GSA. How do you think that the acronym SAVE applies to the work that you do in your community and in your life in general? That's a great question. I can dive right into that. What I do, well, two things. One part I can talk about is that I work with NAMI. And when I say I work with NAMI and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, those two organizations are very, 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 very key because they do a lot of that. And I'll start with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So for example, you know, I'm a volunteer. I don't, I'm not paid. I just do it. You know, a lot of our volunteers do outreach work. And so part of the community work that we did, especially in the Bronx, we went to high schools and we 
will go into different high schools to have seminars called Talk Saves Lives. In those seminars and in those workshops, we have open forums like this to have real conversations with teenagers and young adults who are from all diasporas and all walks of life, including particularly the LGBTQIA community. We just really, really emphasize that working with AFSP is a safe space. We give materials and we have open conversations that they can talk about where their supports are so desperately not being, you know, given or not received, discrimination and how it has affected them mentally, emotionally, psychologically, any of those things that may have got to a point of self-harm or may have gotten to a point of suicidal ideations. And so we just wrap our arms around them through these forums to let them know that they have safe spaces and resources that they can go to and some points, some ways to open the conversation because there are some conversations that have come up where an individual may want to open up or they're thinking about their sexual identity and they're clear that whatever that identity is, is not going to go well with family, all of these things. And so being a part of that, it's just so profound um, because, you know, it really, really, really go above and beyond to say you're enough and your life matters. And, you know, we need you here to be the most amazing self that you are and be accepted. You know, whatever it is that you're going through, it does not have to end in that way. You don't have to feel like this is the only way out. The pain can stop and, you know, or at least be easier to to process and heal from, to be your best self. That's one piece. The other thing, a lot of work I do, I have to say, is is revolved around schools. I used to work for the New York City Department of Education. And so a lot of times we would have these conversations in groups that would be called, let's see, youth communications groups. They have different names, youth communications or, or student speaks. We have programs that have been infused in the public school system for social emotional development that it's literally a safe space where you get credit for showing up, like just show up, just come to class, you know, and participate. And in some, sometimes in these classes, sexual orientation issues come up, LGBTQIA issues come up, racism, gender inequality, or anything and everything that's affecting the youth today. And it's so refreshing to see and hear high school students from 13 and up talk about, yeah, I'm going through that or what have you. The point of it is to support the social emotional development of the teenagers in our public school systems and in our communities that actually will get credit, elective credit for just being present and participating and speaking up. These sessions, I'm sorry, these classes are usually in conjunction with the guidance counselor or the social worker or the dean or what have you to, you know, guide the the mental health part because, you know, it's not easy to talk about and you're always going to have someone in the class that's going to say something and that's the regulation part of having that out that may or may not be most of the time, you know, we don't ask if they are, you know, LGBTQIA or not. It's more, this is about the student, not about me as the teacher, not about me as a social worker. You can ask, you can ask and they'll say answer. It's not like, you know, they'll be secret and go, oh no, that's not something I want to discuss. They'll tell you, you know, we've had some teachers who were either lesbian or gay or non-binary. You know, if you ask them the question, they'll answer it. But that's another thing that we've done that I've seen, you know, as a teacher's aide, I haven't been able to actually
actually stay and be in those groups. But when I did come by, when I was able to pop in for, for the time that I could, it was really, really, really beautiful to see that. And the kids just, I mean, you could just see the relief. You could just see the ease, just being in a space where they could feel safe and they could feel heard. So those are two major examples that I can think of. Those are the two ones that really kind of stick out that I've been a part of. The other thing is that I've been personally working more on art because I have a community art project called the Butterfly Project and it's a writing collage for youth in crisis. And one thing that I'm going to do, I've been doing a lot more research on how to be, me personally, how to be a better ally, educating myself more, learning more, seeing how how I speak and how I respond. And it's been a journey for me because I'm not LGBTQIA. And I want to make sure that when I use my voice, it's done correctly. And I want to express that in my paintings. So I'm excited about that. That all sounds like awesome stuff. And you made a couple of great points, especially about <laughs> educating yourself. The fact that, you know, since you're not a part of the LGBTQ community in the traditional sense, you um, are a part of the allyship community, kind of not being constant immersed and not dealing with those problems daily, the problems of being LGBTQ, meaning being asked invasive questions, possibly being a victim of a hate crime or not having acceptable friends or a support system. So the fact that, you know, you really dive in and you really care about getting things right and advocating are amazing. And that is what all true allies should do. It sounds like your part as a part of the SAVE acronym is really that E, that engage. And that is amazing because, I mean, something that I wanted to point out is the first part of SAVE is spreading accurate and relevant information, but I think something that gets missed, and I, mm -hmm. not to downplay the importance of this step, because it's very important to be spreading the information, but if you have knowledge and you don't apply it, then the knowledge goes to waste, especially if you're an ally. Just you knowing it is not doing anything for the community. You should be mm -hmm. spreading and advocating, just like you were saying, and quote the blog, knowledge is power, but power is pointless if not put to good use. So so mm -hmm. definitely that educating yourself and then spreading that information to the public, but also engaging with that information in a public setting and really getting your voice out there and using your actions more than you use your words. And I think you're a great example of an ally who is doing that and wakes up every day and chooses to do that. And we need, we need more people like you. You're a real one. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, okay. You know, like I said before, I'm not a paid spokesperson for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I'm not a paid employee or spokesperson for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. To be transparent, I've lost a lot of people I truly loved to suicide. And a few that I know that I will share, they were, you know, I had two friends who were lesbian and I had one friend who, he was transgender. And ever since I was a teenager, I was in New York City. So in New York City, it's like, are you serious? You, you know, we're here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, Broadway is like, like in New York City. Like, don't even uh, try <laughs> to act like you don't see us. New York City is one of the cornerstones of advocacy for the LGBTQ community. Like, hello. <laughs> yeah. So who can forget Stonewall and some very, very famous places that spearheaded over and over again. When I was a teenager, I used to go to a youth program called The Door, the Center for Alternatives. You know, that was the first time I've ever encountered 
encountered anyone in the LGBTQ community. And I was totally naive. I didn't know what was going on, but I figured it out. And even as I figured it out, it didn't matter to me. I was just like, okay. So the door was a safe space for teenagers that were going through that because in the 80s, it was very, very aggressive. It was very, there was a lot of hate crimes going on. That was a big part of it because there wasn't any supports. And I was, one ally is not enough. You know, I knew and I accepted and I was understanding of everything that was going on, but they needed more. They needed so much more, my my lost ones. They needed more support from others, not just me. Sometimes one person isn't enough. And at the time it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, and the pain was just too much and it just broke my heart and so when I go out there when I advocate with AFSP when I advocate with NAMI when I advocate through my art through my work in the community with the children or what have you I'm always thinking about them I'm always thinking am I representing a safe space am I helping to ease the struggle a little more when you're sitting with me and you're venting am I using my space with you your space with me to create a space for us to heal and you look at me and say okay she gets me and I'm going to be okay I always hope and wonder if I am and so that's why I'm constantly trying to learn because it is changing it is ever changing you know and so I'm trying to keep up (laughs) I'm I'm trying to keep I have to be transparent. It's like, oh, okay, okay, got it. You know, it's the continued learning process is is what's important. A bit, (laughs) and and, and I'm honest about that, and I'm honest about that, and it's like I I say, okay, if I I literally ask for forgiveness right off the bat, like if I'm saying something that's not accurate, please correct me. And the reception, well, okay, 95. 95% of the time is like, okay, listen, this is what this means. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful exchange. It's a beautiful exchange of education. It's a beautiful exchange of knowledge. It's a beautiful exchange of compassion towards each other and connection. And I think that's just great. I agree. And something that came up a lot in um, what we've been discussing is how much things have changed and why, you know, obviously that kind of shows why it's important to keep learning and to continue being educated. But we wouldn't have the opportunity, I guess, the privilege to have all of this knowledge if it wasn't for that change that we have seen since the 50s and the 60s, everything that happened, especially with Stonewall. I did a whole blog on kind of the history of the LGBTQ community in America, and uh, New York was a big part of that. And all of that change came around through either A, just a general change in societal norms, and that's changing day by day. But it also came through changes like policy and government and laws Mm -hmm. and elections. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that is, you know, having, like you said, more than just one ally, having a lot of allies who can join the LGBTQ community in voting for things that will better our living circumstances and in effect better our mental health. So this all kind of just wraps around and shows the interconnectivity of everything, which is why I decided when I was creating the SAVE acronym, I kind of played around with the different things. I'm like, what does V stand for that really could, that 
really is like important. I was like voting, like it's is very important. And I guess not just gaining our rights and gaining stability, but maintaining that stability. We see a lot of times uh, laws being stripped away because people don't pay attention because people aren't educated enough to be paying attention. And it all kind of bleeds back in to that voting section of just, if you have the knowledge, you know what's going on, just staying involved. That's the education portion. Staying engaged is the voting portion. So really the, the acronym is just one thing. And that's just called being an ally and being aware of what's what's going on in the community. You know, I would say based off of all of this change that's been going on and all of the things that brought us to this point in history where, I mean, I can make this, this podcast and not worry about being a victim of a hate crime because I even decided to speak out. What do you think out of all of those, whether it be spreading information, voting, engaging, or advocacy, out of all of those, what do you think has been the most important part of allyship in the past couple of decades to institute this change? That's a great question. No wrong answers, of course. It's all just, all just open discussion. I know, I know, I know, I know. In the past 20 years, wow. What hasn't the past 20 years all of them I mean but what sticks out is advocacy because they all are interconnected advocacy is speaking out engaging advocacy speaking to your law your local lobbyists your congress who create the laws or discuss the laws at least just being able to speak to someone who will speak to those who come to the round table of rights and laws and liberties and knowing that someone's going to walk in and be your voice not to say that even if the bill doesn't get passed is great but the fact that the seed is planted the takeaway will be information and knowledge and an understanding that yeah there's a voices there's voices out there that want to be heard yeah uh there are people who want to be represented there are humans who want to be recognized in the law you may not agree with it but i'm here standing wherever in the senate or in the congress or as that representative to say this is what they want and the conversation can just keep happening and happening and happening until something changes changes or until the community itself makes the change because other allies will step up and go, hey, well, this is not happening here, but we could do this this way, which is also another form of advocacy, brainstorming, coming together with comprehensive plans. Because there's a saying that I've heard, if they don't want to give you a seat at the table, then you have to create your own table. That is so good. Right? It's like, yeah, if you don't have a seat at the table, if they don't want you to have the seat at the table, then you create your own table. And that's what a lot of communities, some of them end up eventually doing it's like oh okay fine we'll just make our own table and once we make this table don't interfere because we wanted to see the table and you didn't want us to sit there just happens in communities of color this happens in religious sections or what have you if you don't have those supports that you're reaching out your allies can come together and create it just build your own and become self-sufficient on each other it's not impossible to do it's just a matter of you know having that connection within even within the community to be able to see things on the same page to say okay remember this is our objective that we can get what we need to accomplish so would you outside of kind of the roles and responsibilities that we discussed today what would you mm. add to the roles and responsibility of an ally specifically in terms of helping mental health equality for example for me I always feel you know as someone who is in the LGBTQ community and someone who has been you know kind of knee-deep for the past couple of years in mental health care and mental health service either as a patient or working 
being on the opposite end of the spectrum as a mentor. So for me, I would have added something along the lines of more of initiative, having the personal initiative to make a step. You know, you can't spread information or be an advocate or engage or vote if you don't have the initiative to do so. And I say, if you want to call yourself an ally, then you have to have that initiative. Mm -hmm. And for me, having initiative, you know, I can't say I'm an ally because I am in the community. So it's not really my place to to talk on the allyship part of that. Mm -hmm. But being in the LGBTQ community, my initiative for my mental health treatment has been to make it known to my providers, like this is my sexuality, setting that initiative for yourself, which leads it to advocacy after the fact. That's what I would add. But what about you? What would you add? Something similar, like, okay, I'll give you an example. When I held a project, when I had a workshop for the second section of boards that I did for my art project, I was working with a nonprofit organization of youth leadership, with youth that were doing service within the community, doing things that helped enhance their leadership skills. And the first thing that we did, once everybody was settled in, we started talking about, okay, state your name, state your pronouns that you prefer to be referred to. And some of them were looking around like, did she just say, like, they were kind of surprised. We even asked. And one person actually raised their hand and was like, excuse me, why did you ask what our pronouns are? And we were like, because we believe in equality in all forms and fashions. We want everyone to be represented respectfully and appropriately. And so if you want to be addressed as he, she, her, they, or what have you, we're here to acknowledge and recognize that. It was like smiles were, were showing up. And because part of their introduction was state their name, their grade, their pronouns, and you know why they were part of their the organization that they were one. Just that. It, don't, it doesn't seem like a lot. It's like, okay, big deal. It depends on who you're saying the big deal to, because it was a big deal to them. I think as a non-LGBTQ, I feel like when, you know, asking what the pronoun is, asking what, asking, just asking, like asking more, asking what you prefer, you know, and hopefully receiving a positive response. Because sometimes the response isn't positive. Like, well, what do you mean? You know, because so, sometimes, and I have to say this, I've personally come across where I've actually said that. And it was almost as if it was offensive that I even asked. And it was like, well, I'm just trying to show respect. And it was like, well, that's not necessary. You don't have to do that. Da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. But at the same time, this is what I'm learning. So sometimes it's not always received well, but it's just the principle, the principle of being aware of asking the questions to educate what the need is or the want is. What also could be done more is holding others accountable in your space. For example, if someone is sitting next to you and they're non-LGBTQ and they're making fun and imitating someone, instead of later on saying, oh, I'm so sorry for my friend. That wasn't nice. Da, da, da. No, call them on their crap right then and there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it can be confrontational or I feel like if we even have to develop a language to address that, because it doesn't always have to be aggressive. Sometimes it can be more diplomatic. Maybe a developing a language of of advocating by addressing the presence of discrimination or disrespect right in front of you, right then and there. It could be right in the presence of the person. It could be after they leave to say, hey, what was that about? That wasn't cool. You know, if you do that again, I may not associate with you or whatever the situation may be. But I feel like having a real talk with those who are in your space, disrespecting, insulting, or doing 
all those hideous things right in your space on how to speak up in a language and in a manner that says what you need to say and at the same time gives them something to think about to stop perpetuating that kind of negativity. I know a lot of non-LGBTQ who don't speak up. They'll just sit there. just too scared to say anything because it's a boss and maybe their boss saying something. You know, it's such, it's, it's, it's tricky. You know, it may be their boss saying something and they just got the job and they're like, oh my God, this is what I'm dealing with. Wonderful. This is what we're going to do every, every coffee break, every meeting. I can't, I can't stomach this. What do I do? You know? <laughs> just go straight home. All right. Let me get back on Indeed right there. Let me just see what we got. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're on your phone, like, hey, glass door. Oh my God. What did I get hired into? That is so you true. Know? Yeah. The whole situation can be very tricky. It can be not very straightforward. Like you're hanging out with a group of friends and they say something derogatory and you correct them. Like it's always like that. Like there is sometimes there are power dynamics. There are things that you have to worry about. Like, is this a safe environment? Am I, you know, mm-hmm. not at risk here? And that's actually something that it's really funny that this came up because it's something that we talked about extensively in part one, kind of like how to deal with false allies or how to deal with people who are homophobic and transphobic, especially if you're non-confrontational and how to approach that in a way that is safe for your mental health and your physical health. So mm. I think, you know, because this keeps coming up, I'm I'm curious if this would be a good topic to discuss kind of all on its own of the situation of, you know, how do you address so. these issues, but also remain in a good place? So I think that definitely deserves some more research on my part. So I'm giving myself homework. You ought to, you're, you're, on, you're onto something. You just made such a, such a hard nail point that how do you assert yourself in your allyship with minimal to no consequence mentally and physically because cyberbullying is no joke. Physical assaults, isolation, retribution, retaliation is damaging on both sides of the, of the, of the aisle for the LGBTQ community and the non-LGBTQ community. That's allying. So I would love to see that. I'd love to jump on that. We may have we may have a feature of a reoccurring cast member here. We I think we something we can look forward to. Well, speaking of kind of, you know, getting connected, as we kind of wrap up today's episode, why don't you kind of drop some plugs? Why don't you drop where people can find out more about you? You can find out more about me, Instagram, predominantly right now. I'm hoping to expand more plugs, but I do have Twitter at Distractable Me, where I post a lot of my quotes, mostly and occasionally some of my artwork that I do. So that would be spelled E-I-S-T-R-A-B-T-A-B-L with two E's for Twitter. And then for Instagram, it's just one E at Distractable Me. And you will find me on Instagram. That that um, is awesome. I'm I'm loving the the double the double E on the Twitter. So don't forget that guys. It's two E's on the Twitter. And I oh my gosh. I feel you when I was making the Instagram handle, which I'll go ahead and plug right now for the com blog. The Instagram handle, if you want to keep up with everything that's been going on and everything that will continue to go on with um, the calm blog and the calm podcast you can find us on instagram at the dot calm dot blog all lowercase <laughs> and yes it's separated by dots because somebody already took the calm blog calm the blog calm blog like i was our t- tcb was already taken like i can't win guys and if you want to follow <laughs> if you want to follow us on twitter you can just go at the calm blog and everything is lowercase except for calm that's all uppercase because we're yelling apparently today. And if you want to join the cast, casting crew of the podcast, or if you want to come on as a guest writer, share your personal stories or your expertise, go to 
www.thecomblog.com and just fill out the simple form on the join page. There is no experience necessary and it's completely open to all allies and members of the LGBTQ community, regardless of where you are in the world. And that is all we have today. Thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday afternoon. (laughs) It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking the tough questions. I love that mental challenge. (laughs) And I appreciate everything that you're doing and just keep going. Yes. And to everyone out there, keep going as well. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. All right. (laughs) Bye. <laughs>